Hi everyone, welcome to the Human Software Love Podcast. My name is Louise Campbell. I'm a digital design researcher, or UX researcher for short, and I'm privileged to have worked for some of the biggest and best technology teams and companies in the world, including Facebook. Human Software Love is a place where I share conversations and stories with my favorite people and also colleagues in digital product and service design, user research, software engineering, product management, and growth marketing. We'll also take a look at the lives of the people I interview and learn how they got to the top of their careers and what inspired them in the early years. We dive into the top five digital moments, moments that shaped their careers. And finally, we ask, what would they take with them if they were selected to go on the first trip to Mars? My special guest this week is Daniel Drudita. He's a product designer at Facebook. In February 2017, he recently moved from Facebook HQ based in Menlo Park, California, where he worked on the Facebook Groups team, to their head office in Rathbone Place, London, to work on Workplace by Facebook. I was lucky enough to work directly with Dan as a user researcher on my very first project at Facebook. His design talent, great storytelling, and dry sense of humour made me feel at home in an unfamiliar environment. Before Facebook, He studied fine arts at the Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, New York, and then later on he studied graphic design at the Rhode Island School of Design, or RISD for short. At only 18 years of age, during his first week in college, he witnessed the Twin Towers collapsing from a rooftop in Brooklyn. A phone call home to his parents on a landline at the time didn't get the reaction he was expecting, so he stayed in New York, finished his education, and at RISD, before big-name tech companies, came knocking at his door. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you, Louise, for having me. Daniel, tell me a little bit more about your early years. What was it like in the Dan household? And and where did you grow up? Yeah, so I grew up in this small town outside of New York called Middlebury, Connecticut. Um, It kind of is like it sounds. It's sort of in the middle of nowhere. Um, It's a small town of about 6,000 people. Um, it was a great place to grow up. Um, I had, uh, you know, obviously my, my, my parents were very supportive. I had a sister that was two years younger than me. It was this kind of normal, all-American childhood um, yeah. that was just very ordinary in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, and I was always fascinated by, like, technology and art, and I mm. didn't like sports, which put me in a bit of a weird place with the rest of my classmates and peers as I got older. Okay, that's that's super interesting. So tell me a little bit more about 
when you first became aware of technology in your house? Yeah, it's uh, technology is one of these funny things where it just kind of it, it's it's a creeping thing that you sort of don't even notice. Um, my parents had a Commodore sixty four. Um, I was born in nineteen eighty three. Yeah, but I became aware of and started playing with this Commodore 64, probably would have been about 1989, so it was already a few years old at the time. Um, and I just thought it was the most fascinating thing in the world because it had a printer, it had a dot matrix printer, um, and you could load up this print software. It had a bootleg version of this print software called Print Shop, yeah. which is sort of a proto-Photoshop. Um, and I would print banners um, uh, for for parties and I just spent a ton of time printing on this dot matrix printer. Oh my god, that's so cool! What did it look like? What did the um, interface look like on on the desktop? It was oh. actually it 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 was really janky. It hooked up to a TV, so it hooked up yeah. to a black and white TV that it was like the kind of like probably my dad's old college TV or something. Um, and it didn't come with a monitor, but you would hook it up to this black and white TV and. Um, that yeah, it was in I remember I remember actually asking my parents for a, a color TV or a color monitor for the Commodore sixty four, but uh never got one. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. So that would have been the next stage. Yeah. A color monitor. So wow. So when was this when was this This would have Yeah, this would have been like nineteen nine uh nineteen eighty nine, early nineties, I think. Yeah. And so was it at the beginning of um color desktops? Yeah, I think so. And in, in school, maybe a year or two later, they would have a, you know, they had a early Mac, um, or maybe it might have even been a Lisa, um, or an Amiga, and they had, you know, they had, like, better stuff at the school. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I remember those being in colors and playing Oregon Trail on the computers at school and being really really envious of the color monitors and the like kind of color primitive color graphics that the computers at the school had. Oh, amazing. <laughs> I wasn't, I, I don't know if I really knew that design was a thing yet. I yeah. loved to draw as a kid and I would make these really detailed diagrams um, that I think my parents and my teachers just thought was really weird. Um, I remember in art class, you know, we would, the students would be drawing like a pony or a truck or something. And I was like designing cities or in, um, <laughs> I remember when I was at the dentist's office once and I was designing a, a water filtration system. I don't know why, but I was like designing, you know, this system that would, um, like clean drinking water yeah. by, um, it was essentially like a reverse osmosis system, but it would push drinking water at high pressure through this mesh and so like weird weird stuff like that that you know teachers and parents would be like why just why draw a pony why are you like doing that, that? yeah <laughs> that's amazing and so could you tell me a little bit more about perhaps your first college and and, and where that was yeah so um my i guess my high school days right in america we have um high school is after primary school and before college yeah. Um, I, I, I had a kind of a hard time in high school because I, I wasn't, I wasn't very athletic and I was as I am now into kind of like esoteric stuff. Mm. Um, 
And I, you know, just had a hard time relating to the other, like, kids. Yeah, I would hang out a lot in the art room in high school. Yeah. And they had, in this high school, they had Art Forum magazine. Okay. And I would, you know, once again, growing up in the 6,000-person town, I would read Art Forum magazine, and it's talking about, you know, Jasper Johns and, like, Bruce Nauman and performance artists. And I was just like, holy shit, this is like, there's a whole other world outside this town. Yeah. Um, and I had the internet, but the internet at the time, this would have been like super, super early 2000s, maybe 2000, 2001. The internet at the time, like, didn't quite communicate to me yet that there was a world outside of this town. Yeah. Um, and I remember reading, like, these art magazines of, like, what's going on in the art world in New York City and Berlin and Cologne and all these other places and and thinking, God, I, I, I really want to go to these places. I want to like see more of the world in this than this town. Yeah. And so I went to I went to art school after high school. I went to this college in New York called Pratt Institute. Yes. Um and it's a it's a really fine art kind of oriented school more than a design school. They say they're a design school, but um and they, they have a good design program, but I, I re- my experience there was very much um, that it was kind of a fine art school. And I went to Pratt, and my first week at Pratt was September 11th. And I remember really distinctly being on the top of the roof of this building in Brooklyn and seeing the twin towers. I didn't see them get struck, but I saw the twin towers burn and collapse. Yeah. And how, I, how old were you then? I would have been 18. God. Yeah. And... I know on on the one hand it, it's it's terrifying and it's yeah. horrifying, but there was this small part of me that thought, "Wow, stuff happens here. Stuff happens in New York City." Wow. Um, and I was like, "This did not happen in Middlebury, Connecticut. Yeah, this kind of stuff did not happen, and this stuff happens here." Um, of course, it was a once in a generation like tragedy, but it would just it just struck me that like the world happens in in New York, and yeah, yeah, it was it was it was insane. It was crazy how do you think that influenced your decisions on staying in new york or actually just like your well-being yeah afterwards i think so my dad told me this story when he was when i was a kid yeah he grew up in the 50s and he used to tuck me in at night and he said you don't know how lucky you are growing up in the 90s um you know the world is at peace when i was a kid um and like Every time I heard a plane, all I could think is, this is a Russian bomber flying over our house to drop an atomic bomb on New York. And he told me, he, he told me that story as a kid, and I remember thinking how abstract and weird that sounded, and I just yeah. couldn't co- quite square that with my experience. Yeah. Um, but after 9-11 happened in New York, it kind of like, I remember him, that story he told me like kind of came back into mind because... Yeah. Every time I heard a siren, all I could remember from from seeing the the twin towers get hit, yeah, um, was the the smell and the sound of sirens that just went on for like a whole day, yeah. And it was just this kind of muffled, this like muffled siren sound everywhere. And so mm-hmm. for the next two or three years, every time I heard a, a police or emergency vehicle siren, I would I would kind of be like a, have a flashback it would just remind it would make me like my my hair would stand up a bit mm-hmm. you know yeah it must have been quite shocking to see that in, yeah it was um yeah it was crazy and, and did you did you have 
like how did you get in touch with your family that day can you remember yeah it's i i do remember my parents being a little more nonchalant than i thought they would be about it um i remember um i didn't have a cell phone at the time but i remember calling them yeah and but saying from a landline from a landline yeah, yeah. Each, each dorm room there had a phone yeah. at the time and i called them and you know i was like mom i'm all right um and they're like yeah i know you're in brooklyn this is in lower manhattan and I just, I don't know, I just kind of assumed that, you know, like, my mom would just be so incredibly worried about me, but she was, she was like, yeah, no, you're fine, don't worry about it, just stay out of trouble. Okay. <laughs> Which was very un-mom, like, of my mom, because she's normally a very, yeah you know, like but most perhaps moms. they might have been in shock, too, I Maybe. Agree. <laughs> yeah. So, where did you go from the Pratt Institute? Well, I was 18, and I really didn't have everything figured out yet, like, most 18 year olds. I didn't like have a, a five-year plan as they say or a oh, long-term plan. I was more like okay I want to be in the city and yeah. like meet some girls and you know take in New York and maybe do some cool artwork and hang out and party. That's a good attitude for an 18 year old to have but maybe not a great attitude for a for someone who's trying to be successful at something to have yeah. and um so I was at so I stayed at Pratt for like three years and then I eventually dropped out because I just wasn't really yeah. moving in any kind of direction. I was what, just kind what of... What did you study there? I act, I actually switched my major a bunch of times there. Yeah. Um, I started off studying painting and then I switched to like photography and then to filmmaking or something and then finally, yeah. finally left. I kind yeah. of... I kind of just left thinking, um, I'm going to live in New York City and I just want to have a job. And... Yeah. Tell, tell me a little bit more about some of the, the things that you worked on after. Yeah, so I, I got this job working on aquarium fabrication. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really crazy job. I worked for these guys who had a kind of office in or a workshop in Williamsburg, which was, this was Williamsburg, Brooklyn in the early 2000s, which was yeah. like a really kind of burgeoning hip area um and we 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 sold fish so if you wanted to buy a pet fish you could come in and we would sell you one yeah but we also fabricated aquariums for like french vogue they would need to do a shot where some you know some model is like some model is like suspended in an aquarium with fish we would we would like build that for them amazing and we built stuff for Damien Hurst and yeah amazing yeah and one of the guys tried to pay me in a Damien Hurst painting at one point and I really yeah and oh I, I actually just asked for the money oh. yeah, so <laughs> can you remember which one it was it was one of the many dot paintings that he did oh, so it wow. wasn't like <laughs> we was, I, that, was that that whole period where everything was in a yeah tank? we the thing we specifically worked on was like a gynecologist chair and then we did something with a oh, doctor's wow. office in a in an like in the suspended tank yeah. um yeah I think it was it was all part of that where he was just doing these like really large scale installations that's amazing <laughs> what, a, what, a, what an amazing early um introduction to cool art yeah so take me to your time at the Rhodes School RISD. RISD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take me, take me to your time there. What would you recommend to anybody that wants to go there? Yeah. RISD uh, is, has this really... For they, anyone that's listening, it's Rhode, Rhode Island School of Design. Thank you. It's, uh, yeah, it's in, 
it's in Rhode Island and um, RISD has this kind of famous application where you have to draw a bicycle. Um, and Is this part of the interview? They do an interview, but you basically have to, you have to make three drawings and you have to do a whole portfolio as well, but you have to make three drawings and you send them these drawings and you don't get them back. Okay. I suppose if you really want, you can drive down to the admissions office and get them. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, why would you want to do that? I don't know. Unless but, they're like really, 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 really like special ones that you... But it, it, I think it's a, it really like filters out people who are serious enough to sit and do these three drawings. It's yeah. like they, I think they, they do it to, to have an application that's different than other art schools. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I went to, so I went to RISD oh, and... what did you study? I studied graphic design. and right. So this was in my late 20s. And yeah. This was after I'd kind of just like bounced around um, New York for a while and just kind of done a bunch of odd jobs. You know, some some interesting like the like yeah. the fish one and some not interesting. Yeah. Um, and I I went and studied graphic design because I was, I was always interested in kind of organizing things in structure and architecture yeah. um, as a kid. And there was something about design that kind of felt like it ticked all those boxes, uh, yeah. graphic design. Like it, it had, you got to play with form and typography. Yeah. Um, and was it, was the internet sort of looming large at that point or was it still kind of in its infancy? And, and were you thinking about web design? Was that included on the program? Yeah, this is actually a really interesting thing that I think RISD and a lot of schools like it are struggling with. Um, mm. RISD prides themselves on being a very traditional program. Yeah, They pride themselves on not teaching you like a bunch of applied skills that you can come out with, but on actually teaching you how to think and problem solve. Okay. And I actually think if you want to do web design or UI design like I do now, I would maybe not encourage your first step to be just to take a web design class. Like I actually think I probably learned more about hierarchy and typography that I use in in interaction design from like making books. Another thing that RISD taught me that I think is really important to understand is that anything you see in the digital world has a analog counterpart like has it Mm. it's born out of something analog and it's born out of some analog thing or concept or process and I think a good example of that is I had this teacher named Cyrus Highsmith who was um he's a typographer he's a really famous typographer among people who know who typographers are which is a really weird nerdy group to begin with but anyway no I'm part of one of those groups (laughs) (laughs) um so Cyrus basically started the first I would say two-thirds of the semester, you came in and he said, you're going to learn calligraphy. And at first I was like, why do I have to learn calligraphy? It's hard to learn calligraphy. What I eventually learned and what I understood that he was trying to teach us, the letter stroke, when you look at a serif font, Mm. when you see the flanges at the top or when you see any part of a font, if you've ever wondered why in an O the sides of the O are wider than they are at the top, it's yeah. because it's all based on a calligraphic stroke. Yes. And every serif font you've ever seen, even if it's been designed 
for apps or if it's designed for, you know, if it was designed in the last five years, they're all based on what a calligraphic brush does yes. when it moves across paper. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a million other examples of this in the digital world Yeah. of something being the way it is in the digital world because it once lived in it once lived in the analog yeah, world. That's that's a fascinating insight. I love that. After you left RISD, could you tell me a little bit more about um, where, where where you went first as an intern? Yeah, so I was still oh, I was still wait. at RISD at the time. Yeah. But I got this summer internship in the U.S. Like, they're really big on the summer internship. Yeah. So I got this internship. I don't know if you are familiar with this magazine in the U.S. called Newsweek. Yes. Um, so Newsweek was this news magazine in the U.S. And I grew up as a kid reading it because my dad got it. Yeah. And so Newsweek had so many print publications, had a bunch of problems financially. And they got essentially bought by this digital company that published this blog called The Daily Beast. Oh, okay. They were still releasing a print magazine. Yeah. And so they came to RISD for this career fair that RISD would do, and creative director came and talked, and he was so incredibly charismatic, and he was... I I spoke to him, and he... I showed him my portfolio, and he's like, Newsweek is this, like, really old brand, and they're so important, but they're dying, and they don't know how to function in the digital age, and I need you to come here to New York this summer and, like, take this old brand to the 21st century. Oh, wow. And I was like... (laughs) What a mandate. Yeah, I was like, wow, of course. (laughs) And so they offered me an internship, and I, of course, took it. My first day there, yeah, they basically announced that they were selling Newsweek. So <laughs> I just moved. I moved to New York for three months. I, I signed a like a three month lease, and yeah. I come in, and they're people like crying and packing up boxes and stuff. Oh no! And they're like, <laughs> yeah, the the company decided to sell sell the brand of Newsweek to this. Chinese holding company, which now still owns it, I think. Some some other holding company owns owns Newsweek now. And I don't think they still publish the print magazine anymore. Anyway, so I'm just... What did you do? I'm like, what? What is going on? Yeah. And I, I'm sitting there in the lobby and waiting, kind of like waiting to find out what my fate is, if I'm going to have anything to do in New York that summer. Yeah. And the creative director calls me in his office and he's like, hey, do you like the Daily Beast? And I'm like, yeah, sure, I guess. And he's like, you work for the Daily Beast now. So you're going to bring the Daily Beast into the tw- or something like this. And I was just like, yeah. okay. And um, it was actually a really cool experience because they were moving from web to mobile at the time. Okay. Uh, desktop to mobile. Yeah. And What did they ask you to do? They, for some reason, asked me, the intern, to yeah. look at designing their mobile site. I love that. And so, yeah, this... <laughs> It's like a classic kind of American intern project where it's like a really, a kind of like really big project, but also if you fail, it's like, whatever, it's just the intern did it, just like throw the whole thing away. Yeah. Um, and so I made, I designed their, their mobile site. Um, and my idea at the time was that it would be like a mobile site that would run on on the browser and they could also release an app and just kind of like run this web wrappers were really big at the time if they, they wanted were, they? yeah with like html5 yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and if if you wanted they at a later date they could like put the mobile site in this you know native app and kind of say they had a native app too and yeah so i worked on that and that was a really cool project and i i really enjoyed it yeah. um 
And I left after three months, like, being able to say that I designed a mobile site or, like, a, a major blogs app. It was a really great experience. Like, a lot of things in technology, it shipped probably a year later. Yeah. But I had the designs, and Facebook came to RISD at, in the fall looking for people. And oh, okay. Can you remember who came, who you met? I do, yeah. I met this guy named Robin Morris, yeah. who's no longer with the company. I actually met Robin the year before. I never, like, thought of working for a place like Facebook ever. Yeah. Um, but I met this guy, and he was, like, so zen and amazing. And I had a bunch of print work, mm. and I showed him, um, I showed him my portfolio, and he's, like, telling me how they problem-solve at Facebook, what, what it's like to work for Facebook, and it, it, it just seemed... Like, it wasn't what I expected. I was like, wow, that sounds really cool. Yeah. Um, and he's like, yeah, you know, you don't have anything that we're looking for, but, like, come back to us next year with some digital work and maybe. And so they came back, and I had this app, and I showed them the app, and then, yeah. you know, they, then I, like, got the job after a bunch of other Great. steps. Great. So that would have meant you moved from New York to... Yeah. To San Francisco or Menlo Park? Which, I, where, did, where did you go for first? I So I, well, I was living in... Providence at the time. Yeah. Um, and I moved from, I moved from, so I moved from Providence to San Francisco. Yeah. And commuted into Menlo Park, which was just awful. Um, okay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, eventually be, because of how bad this commute was and wanting to live in a city, I eventually moved to London. Okay, great. Could you tell me a little bit more about um, the, some of the work, some of the early work that you did at Facebook? So, what was your first project, and then what did that lead into? Yeah, the first thing I did was redesigning the Help Center. Yeah. It was a really great first project because it was basically the sort of unloved corner of the site and the app, and I, yeah. I came in, and, you know, I didn't have any clout. I was just this, like, kid out of college, and yeah. I was able to come up with, like, a new design proposal, and, you know, people were like, that's awesome, cool, and they shipped it, and then, you know, it was out in the world within three months, which Amazing. is really rare in in a big, you know, in technology, I think yeah. a lot of times the problem space is so complicated that stuff, you work on stuff for a while and it doesn't ship. Yeah. Um, and I've certainly had that happen in my career, but um, this one went really smoothly and it shipped and, you Amazing. know, people, yeah, it was, it was, it was great. It was a great first experience. What was your, what was your next sort of large project that you worked on at Facebook? I worked on Groups next. Yeah. And Groups is a really interesting feature at Facebook. When did it first launch? I think Groups launched in maybe 2010. I know we had Pages. Was it Pages came first and then Groups? Yeah, well, Pages are essentially the business profile of non-people in the Facebook ecosystem. So it's yeah. like... Um, your your profile as a person is a profile, but if you're, you know, Kanye West, or if you have a bakery, yeah, that entity in the system is called a page. Yeah. Um. So it's a little different than groups, um. But groups are really amazing because they're almost as lame or as awesome as you want them to be. Yeah. It simply put allows people to connect around a topic. Yeah. So it's a pairing of a topic in an audience yeah so, so people that like Kanye West or my family and you can make groups as big as as big or as small as you want what's I think what's so funny is my great groups experience was after I I left the team and of yeah. course I was in a bunch of meme groups that are 
that share funny memes and content that like make me smile. I moved into this building in London and when I walked in the first day and I was like moving my furniture and there's a little A4, A3, what do they call it here? The paper, the paper size? A4. A4. There's a little A4, (laughs) we call that letter size in America. That's it, US Um, letter. Yeah, there's a little A4 paper size, A4 paper that said, um, join the Timberyard Residence Group. And I, I was just kind of like, oh, haha, that's funny. I'll, I'll join it. And so a couple months pass, and I get to meet a people, a few people in the building, you know, get their phone numbers. And one day it was particularly rainy, uh, and I mean, it was just pouring, and it was like literally awful, awful rain. Typical London day. Right? Yeah. And I was like running to my building and tried to get in the gate and couldn't. And the gate was just completely not, was not recognizing my, my key, essentially. Yeah. And I called the three people in the building that I know, and it was either all busy or, you know, no one would pick up or someone was like, oh, I'm at work, I'll be back in 40 minutes. And finally, I went to the group, the Timberyard group, which is the name of the building. And I said, like, guys, I'm stuck outside the gate. Please, someone buzz me in. Yeah. And within 30 seconds of posting that, the door just turned green and opened and it was like oh my god this is so powerful because everyone in that group got a push notification saying that i posted yeah and yeah so many people use groups don't even yeah. know they're in groups billions of people and it's like affecting their lives yeah i love that story you moved to london uh, quite recently mm-hmm. in fact i think we started at facebook around the same time yeah yeah you know, we were in this, on the same team yeah. so i got to know you better i lived in the states for a little while so i i understand there's a, quite a difference between technology there and technology here could you tell me a little bit about the tech scene here and and what you think the the future holds for perhaps technology in london and, and the difference of any things that that stand out for you i think there's so much to unpack there, and there's also a lot to unpack about, you know, the American character and the British character, and also, like, London is not even distinctly British, it's because it's such an international city. Yeah. I think what I like about London and the tech scene in London, and just people I've met in London generally, is that people are very critical here. They're not cynical, but they're not naively optimistic, and I think people have a very nuanced view and a very broad view of the world and Mm. they care about things other than tech which is maybe a bad answer but that's like what's so awesome about the people i've met here is how well-rounded people are and how people who are in tech also care about art or also care about music and california especially is there i mean i'm sure people who are listening to this will will probably assume or either know through experiences that it, it this is kind of like gold rush mentality there now and it's like it's sort of like hollywood almost like how everyone you know like everyone's got a screenplay you know like the the old cliche about la like the doctor like has a screenplay in his drawer that he just like can't wait to you know like i feel like everyone that like everyone's got an app like everyone has an app that they just like the waiter's got an app and the doctor's got an app and um i you know like i felt like people only cared about technology there and here people people care about things beyond technology and I think to make good technology you can't just be thinking about it as like oh we're gonna make uber for dogs or you know that like that like we're gonna smash these two ideas together like I think you have to be human to make technology that's good and have a good understanding of human behavior exactly yeah existing challenges yeah although uber for dogs sounds like quite a good idea (laughs) What do you think the future holds for IA technology? What's really struck me lately and what really, what I 
what I'm trying to get a kind of internalize and like think about is that we're we're like in the future in a lot of ways, which is such a cheesy thing to say. Um, I remember watching a show like from the '50s, and the guys like we're in the future. There's like you know like we're going to the moon and shit, but like <laughs> we're going we're to actually, Mars, right? Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. there's been a lot of talk about you know, AI and, um, or as I, I actually like to call it machine decision-making because I think that's a little bit more explicit in what it is. It's like machines and data sets making decisions that people used to make. Mm. And I think that has crept up on us so fast and I think it's so banal and it's not the Terminator and it's not like the scary AI thing, uh, scary, like artificial intelligence. It's, it's really banal and it's really useful and friendly. Um, and if you just think about the way machine decision making has crept into our life, it's yeah. it's really overwhelming to just kind of stand back and think all the ways that machines are making decisions for us. If you use Tinder, they are picking your partner. Yeah. Um, if you use if you drive for Uber, they are telling you what to do in your workday. Yeah. If you're applying for a job now, it's more than likely that a very sophisticated um, uh, artificial intelligence like system is is kind of looking through and scanning and kicking out resumes. It, it's just really incredible how crept up on us. Yeah. So talking about you know, I don't know, twenty years ago it was about going to the moon. Yeah. Now we're going to Mars. Yeah. Imagine you're on that first trip to Mars. What would you take with you? Hmm. It's such a hard question because. With technology, the things that are precious to me right now, the most intimate object in my life is probably my iPhone. Yeah. And I can't imagine not having an iPhone. And I can't imagine if I don't have it in my pocket or on the table in front of me, I get anxiety. And yet I'll probably have this phone for a year or 16 months at yeah. most and then move on to another one. Mm -hmm. um, and so the things we're intimate with and the things we need are, are becoming increasingly more disposable and increasingly more ephemeral. Um, so, assuming that apps would work on Mars, which they wouldn't, but let's just assume they would for a second. Yeah. Um, I would bring I would bring my iPhone, and I yeah. would have, um, in I would have Instagram for sure. I know. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would have Google Maps because I. This is kind of weird, but I just like looking at maps. Yeah. Like, would you want to get a sense of where everything is on Mars? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But I also think I just like look at a map of London just because I'd be sad that I wasn't in London anymore. Any any analog stuff you take with you? Yeah, I have this collection of just like nice analog ephemera. Um, and it's not one thing, but like I can't imagine, I can't imagine being somewhere else and not have access to like nice tactile analog things. Yeah. And I think that's something that's like lost in, in, you know, as things become increasingly digital. And mm -hmm. I think hope, hopefully the kind of next generation of digital makers will figure out how to approximate this. But like, I have this, I have this really, this collection that I think is amazing of like old maps and like just, just all kinds of cool analog ephemera that I would probably bring with me as well. That sounds amazing. And, and what, um, what are you reading right now that you might take with you? I'm reading this book called Sapiens, yeah. um, which uh, a lot of people in the tech industry are reading right now. Yeah. Um, Is it by... Um, Noah? So Noah, Noah. Ahari, Ahari. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 So you, you would take that with you? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Okay. So where can people get hold of you if they want to learn more about your work? 
um, and some of your amazing photography. Which okay. <laughs> yeah, if they, if they want to learn more about me, they can go to my website that's yeah. really old. Um, it's a, about a five-year-old website that I designed when I was in design when I was at RISD and haven't updated since. Um, Daniel Judita, yeah, uh, G I U Daniel like you would assume G I U D I T T A dot com. Great. But I also have this Instagram that is um, it's just kind of a side project uh, where I'm cataloging photos of functional objects. Yeah. Um, called Forms in Function, and that's on Instagram. Um, and it has nothing to do with technology, but... Uh, it's really beautiful, so you should definitely, uh, listeners, you should definitely check it out. <laughs> some great work on there, uh, super unusual photos um, and, and little snippets and little stories. So, well, thanks for joining us today, Dan. Thank you so much, Louise. I really so appreciate it. So great learning more about you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me for this week's show. My next show is in two weeks' time. And in the meantime, I want you to keep your feet on the ground, but keep reaching for the stars.